Okay, we are on the Red Pill Plus podcast, and uh, so thankful that you have joined us today. And I am uh, just so pleased uh, to have uh, Daniel R. Street with us. Uh, Daniel's been on the show before. He is an author who has put together some phenomenal books that you're going to want to take advantage of. Uh, and it is The Fake News Exposed, Volume 1, 2, and 3. And then he has a fourth book that he's going to talk about here today. But why I have him on today is to talk about the recent, as of yesterday, movements by that was a response to uh, President Trump's legal team, Jack Smith, the what I call the corrupt prosecutor, Jack Smith, his um, jumping all the way to the Supreme Court uh, and uh, all the at least a 30,000 foot view of this. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, doing well, and thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. Well, we've been looking for a reason to have you on again, and uh, <laughs> I want you to talk about the books a little bit here in a minute. But first, kind of tell us about what happened yesterday, kind of maybe what it was a response to, and what the real overall uh, uh, effects of this could or could not be. Okay, well, <clears throat> by way of a little background, all of the developments uh, with respect to President Trump in the last few days uh, have been with respect to the D.C. or the District of Columbia J6, what, what I shorthand refer to as the J6 indictment. That's the indictment that the special counsel Jack Smith obtained in the District of Columbia. Uh, it's a four-count indictment uh, alleging that President Trump did various different nefarious things uh, on January 6th. And President Trump and his legal team filed a motion to dismiss that indictment, uh, raising the legal issue of presidential immunity. Well, you know, no surprise, the district judge there denied that motion. But President Trump's team filed a notice of appeal with the D.C. Circuit. And that's really the development that that uh, has led to where we're at right now, because that filing that notice of appeal results in a deprivation or depriving the district court of the vast majority of its jurisdiction over the case, at least until such time as that appeal has been resolved. So that's why President Trump's team filed a motion to stay the proceedings in the district court in D.C., which... Uh, the, the judge there, the district judge granted, uh, yesterday. So, which she really didn't have a choice but to grant it because of, of the filing of the notice of appeal. So, so what we have is an appeal that's in the, uh, DC circuit. Uh, the DC circuit issued, um, briefing orders. I believe it was today. Uh, the president's brief is due, uh, the 23rd of December and the replies due early in January. And in the meantime, the special counsel, who I refer to as the special, you know, he's a special prosecutor. I call him the special persecutor. <laughs> uh, you know, Jack Smith is trying to leapfrog, if you will, the D.C. Circuit. And he filed a an application with the United States Supreme Court asking the Supreme Court to take up the presidential immunity issue even before the Court of Appeal does. Um, it's called a, it's called a request for uh, uh, for cert before judgment is what we usually refer to it as. It, it happens very very rarely. The Supreme Court um, even 
less rarely allows it or, or goes along with it or grants uh, even the, the hearing. And so, um, so that's what uh, what Jack Smith did. Uh, yes, I believe it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so, the uh, Supreme Court requested a or ordered a response from the Trump camp, um, which I believe is uh, early next week just to see whether they agree or disagree with the request. And, and I can elaborate on all of that, but um, the real point behind the uh, what Jack Smith is trying to do is he knows what no matter what the D.C. Circuit rules, there will be a request from the Supreme Court, which will take which will slow things down even longer. And the intent here is for the uh, the special persecutor and his team to get Donald Trump before a, a D.C. jury before the election. So that's uh, that's what all the, the the hurry. That's the reason for the rush. Right, right. I mean, it's it's so clear. But from what you're saying, and I want you to continue because, and, and you have a way of boiling this down for us. When I was in the legislature, I always said, I always knew a lawyer had written a certain bill because you couldn't understand it. Uh, uh, but, but let me explain was when it was a bill that they didn't want you to know what was in it, they would write it in a way where you couldn't understand it. Uh, and so we would get these conservative lawyers who would, basically interpret what was said and then you would know how terrible the bill was but a good bill always was written was always written in real common uh uh parlance and language and you could easily understand it you know it was to end the income tax or do this or do that and so i kind of liken you to the good lawyers uh when i was in the legislature that is parsing what's going on uh so one question I have, and this is just kind of a gut instinct that, you know, it's kind of like I say Democrats are like the devil. If they're talking, they're lying. Right. So uh, uh, even though Jack Smith said the main reason for this is to not to to delay it, which seems to make perfect sense that he would want this to get in front of a D.C. jury before the election. That's what he's hoping to do to destroy uh, Trump and and hopefully people will turn even more against him. Those that don't like him, uh, could there be other reasons that he's jumping the appeal process, or is it strictly so this doesn't get dragged out? Yeah, you know, I actually uh, pondered that myself and tried to conjure any legitimate, <clears throat> excuse me, any legitimate reason for uh, for the government to want the Supreme Court to intercede at this stage. I couldn't think of any other reason why. Um, just there's, there's no other explanation that makes any sense. And because the, the other thing is that he's got the, the government's much more likely to win in the D.C. Circuit. Bingo. The Supreme right. Court's their least likely path of victory, correct? That's right. Yeah. For, for the government. And, and, but here's another thing to keep in mind. <clears throat> um, there's so many, there's so much lawfare being waged against President Trump right now that people forget the current timelines that these cases are on. Um, the D.C. case, the one that's the subject of the issues we've been talking about, is set for trial in March. Okay, 
which is well, super quick, right? Yeah, one thing I can guarantee you, I, I mean, I can you can take this to the bank. That case is not going to trial in March. Okay. All right. Uh, it's just, it's impossible. And because even if all of this, let, let's back up and, and let me inform your listeners and, and, and viewers about some things. Um, this process where, where the Supreme Court is asked to intervene before a court of appeal looks at an issue, um, in, in a somewhat similar context involving the president, uh, was used back during the Nixon administration and it had to do with the tapes. If you remember the tapes that, uh, President Nixon had made of various different phone conversations and, and somehow you know, someone, the, the, the parties in some litigation found out about those tapes and there were people who were charged with or indicted, um, about the Watergate break in and they subpoenaed both the government and the defendant. One of the defendants subpoenaed, it had a subpoena issued to the president at that time, President Nixon to produce the tapes. President Nixon, uh, attempted to quash that subpoena. He was unsuccessful and both he and the government Asked the United States Supreme Court to leapfrog, um, you know, and, and skip the Court of Appeal and rule on the executive privilege issue that President Nixon had raised to, to determine whether or not those tapes had to be produced or not. And the uh, Supreme Court granted that relief. Every every party asked for it. The Supreme Court, Court granted it, put it on the expedited briefing schedule and everything. And, and the ruling came down. It was eight to zero in favor of. Uh, producing the tapes or against President Nixon's uh, request. And that took, uh, if I recall, I looked at it just the other day, a little bit over 60 days. Mm. So you can see that even if the Supreme Court acted as quickly as possible and granted and, and did exactly what Jack Smith wants done, um, we're talking about something that the court won't resolve until the end of February, which will be right before the trial schedule. And then in the meantime, the trial's on, on hold, you know, so, or, or the proceedings are on hold. So that March trial date is toast. Now, no matter, no matter what happens, but that leads us into the other issue. That's that the, the Florida indictment is currently set for trial in May. Okay. So the, the, look, that trial date hasn't been bumped yet, but it's almost certain that it's uh, not going to happen either. So <clears throat> you've got to consider that all of those things are going at the same time. And then there's the case down in uh, in Georgia. Now, it's not a federal case. It's a state case. And there's the case in the, that the Manhattan DA has. And all of those trial dates are, are swirling around. And so what this is going to do is um, continue, result in the continuance of the D.C. case and that's if it's not dismissed altogether. Um, if the Supreme Court agrees with President Trump, you know, what I've said all along is how, how can President Trump, he's, a, he's the chief executive. How, when all of this happened, he was the president when all this happened. He was president until January 20th of 2021. Right. This all happened on January in, in, uh, leading up to that. And um, so how can he obstruct an official president? Proceeding of the government that he's in charge of, you know, so <laughs> that's a great point. Ludicrous. And um, so there's a there's a decent chance that this the DC one's just wiped out, but um, it's definitely not going to trial in March. So 
in, in, when you look at this, uh, there's two things that come to mind. One, how does Jack Smith's uh, jumping the, the uh, of attempting to jump the appellate courts and go to straight to the Supreme Court? How does that have any effect on the other the state case and the other federal and the in the New York case and the other federal case? Does that have any effect? On those, is that a plus or minus for them or a wash? That's one. And then two, um, talk some about, and I think you'd planned on it anyway. There's a separate issue, uh, and people may get it conflated with the January 6th political hostages. Yeah. Okay. So what, what Smith's trying to do to get the Supreme Court to intervene by bypassing the court of appeal is is really I mean yes it, it implicates the other cases indirectly and it just, just because number one if the Supreme Court takes the issue up and and um, agrees to do what Jack Smith asked the court to do and hear the uh, the presidential immunity defense now. Well, if the court rules in favor of Trump, obviously that will wipe out the, D, the uh, January 6th D.C. indictment, which would clear that case out of the way. It would no longer be an impediment to the um, to the prosecution of the other cases. So because obviously, you know, the two federal courts and two state courts can't have Donald Trump in the same courthouse. I mean, he can't be in four courthouses at the same time. And he has the constitutional right to effective assistance of counsel and to effectively assist in his own defense. And so, and there's actually a case on that where people have pending, multiple pending indictments. They can't push them all to trial at the same time so the guy can't defend himself anywhere, you know. And that's what they're trying to do, make no mistake about it, right? Yeah, well, I I think that's definitely uh, part of their master plan. And then, then the other issue is if, if the Supreme Court allows the case to move forward and stated another way, rules against, agrees to hear the case now, hears it before the appellate court has heard the, uh, the motion to dismiss and rules against President Trump and says that president, presidential immunity is not a problem on the uh, January 6th indictment. Um, then really, what the end result of that's going to be, because like I said, the March trial date, which is the trial date on the case that we're talking about, that where, where Jack Smith is trying to get the Supreme Court to, to uh, intervene early. Um, that case will be back on track, which will put it in direct conflict with the other case. So, um, I don't think there's really an effective way that Jack Smith is able to get either of these cases, when I say either when I'm talking about the December, I mean the uh, January 6th D.C. case or the Florida uh, documents case, I believe he's able to get either one of them to trial on the current schedule. So the best thing that he can hope for is to get this squared away and try to push one or the other or both of them to trial before um, the election. Yeah, and talk about uh, the how this the separate uh, issue affects the uh, was it Fisher the January sixth defendant? Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, there's another issue. I, yeah, so yesterday or maybe been the day before, and I got to tell you, these things have been happening. There's been so much happening so fast. Um, 
It was either yesterday or the day before. The United States Supreme Court granted a application filed on behalf of one of the January 6th defendants. Um, now, to give you a little background on that. Okay. Right, so this particular J6 defendant, his last name was Fisher. His first name escapes me. Um, he was originally indicted on four misdemeanors for his participation in the events of uh, January 6th, which is the Capitol riot. Yeah. And then a superseding indictment was issued against him that charged him with a, with a felony, which is the obstruction of an official proceeding. Now, to give everybody the procedural posture of this case, this is one of a handful of cases that were in front of a D.C. district court judge named Judge Nichols, who actually ruled that the U.S. government could not prosecute um, this particular guy, this January 6th defendant, under that statute. And then the government appealed, and the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal reversed in the two-to-one decision, and then the criminal defendant, uh, Fisher, applied for cert to the uh, United States Supreme Court, and the court agreed to hear the case. So, now, what that's all about is this. <clears throat> um, if everyone remembers the Enron scandal, and I don't want to – that's a rabbit hole. We don't want to go down <laughs> it more than we have to. But a couple of decades ago, there was this big company called Enron, and they had a bunch of accounting issues and were allegedly – well, I guess it's not allegedly. They were proved to have done various different uh, fraudulent schemes to deprive the federal government of various different uh, benefits and taxes and things. And some of the executives were accused of destroying some documents to hinder the investigation and specifically to hinder Congress's investigation and what was going on. And they determined at the time that federal law did not criminalize destroying documents, um, the, the, an individual destroying documents to do that, but only to uh, facilitate or to have someone else do it. So if you put someone else up to, or you know what, I might have that backwards. So um, if, you, if, if you conspired with someone and got someone to destroy the documents, that wasn't illegal. Just destroying the documents yourself was illegal. So there was a loophole in federal law with regard to destroying documents to obstruct Congress. Okay. So Congress amended the law. <clears throat> pass these provisions that are at issue now to say that if you, uh, you know, coerce or lean on someone or entice someone to destroy records, then that's illegal. Or, and then the subparagraph is, or otherwise obstruct an official proceeding. Um, and those, it's now a felony. So that provision, Judge Nichols ruled that a person, a J6 defendant, couldn't be charged because that statute was actually tied to the first provision and required there to be destruction of documents. It really had nothing to do with what went on on January 6th. So um, there's, it really boils down to a case, a, a question of an interpretation of a statute. That, and this particular statute, there's three ways to interpret it. And the court's obligated by, by tenets of criminal law to narrowly construe criminal provisions of law. And uh, applying that, rule will result in all of these charges against J6 defendants under this obstruction of a proceeding statute to be thrown out. Now, the way that relates to 
Donald J. Trump is in his J6 indictment, the D.C. indictment, which is the indictment we've been talking about. He's charged with four counts. Two counts of the four are under the statute that is being challenged on the obstruction of official proceedings. And that's uh, what the Supreme Court just agreed to hear in another case. But to, to keep it in context, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the case when there's no, there's, there's, if, when you look at what the court is usually looking for for writ grant considerations, almost none of those considerations are in existence in this particular case. There's no split in the circuits, which is one of the big issues that the court looks at. And the, the nine times out of ten, this isn't chiseled in stone, but nine times out of ten in these circumstances, when the court agrees to hear a case, it's because enough members of the court are concerned that the law is being misapplied. Oh, wow. So, <clears throat> otherwise yeah, so they wouldn't likelihood is otherwise they would let it go through the to the courts right sure i said otherwise they would let it just go through the normal process of the of the lower courts right right see now this issue is up on a uh again a motion to dismiss on the 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 fisher case which is the january 6th defendant so <clears throat> now um it implicates a ruling on that so if the the United States Supreme Court is going to have two choices. They can either say that this Enron statute that was passed in response to literally to efforts to destroy documents and things to hinder a congressional investigation um, does not apply to the type of issues that are raised in the January 6th cases, which would be people who allegedly, worst case scenario, were trying to delay the certification of the 2020 election by Congress, right? So it wasn't, there's no destruction of evidence. There's no, there's no effort to tamper with evidence, alter evidence, destroy evidence, which is what those statutes were, were passed for. Right. So if the Supreme Court says, look, these, this statute's being misapplied, um, you know, they're going to have to vacate a bunch of uh, convictions, including several of the uh, Oath Keepers, and set aside, um, well, there's over 300 people charged with it, and, and including President Trump. So, um, yeah, it's a game changer, and and would it would it would gut virtually all of the felony prosecutions uh, emanating from January 6th, with just a handful of exceptions. You know, there's a handful of people who were physically violent that day that would still be potentially charged with felonies. Right. But <laughs> but the, the lion's share of the people who took their, uh, you know, unguided tour of the Capitol that day would be back down to misdemeanors. And so it's a big, it would be a huge, huge win for um, for January 6th defendants, including President Trump. And just getting the, just getting it before the Supreme Court is a huge win. That's that's a giant step because the Supreme Court exercises discretionary review. They don't have to review anything they don't want to, you know. So, so your point was nine out of ten times if they review something, it's because they feel like the law has been misapplied. Well, in this context, that, and that's not always the case. Well, right, 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 right. But yeah, okay. Yeah. What happens a lot of times is there, there's. There's multiple federal circuit courts of appeal, and one circuit court will rule X, and another one will will, will decide Y on the same question of law. And the court will say they've got they're, they're supposed to resolve those 
disputes amongst the circuits. You know, that that's not a consideration here because no other court has ruled on this particular issue. And, and a, a stated another way, no other jurisdiction covered by any other court of appeal in the federal system has tried to stretch this statute like like the D.C. Um, district is doing. So, um, you know, the primary reason for the Supreme Court to grant writ in this particular type of case doesn't exist. So virtually everyone, and this includes um, this includes a lot of the lawfare type uh, Democrat activist legal analysts uh, agree this is a very bad development for the government. Well, good. If it's a bad development for the government, it's good for us. Um, That's right. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, I, I want to do two things. One, I want to kind of get off track a little bit and talk about, since we're talking about January 6th, I want to talk about just very briefly, and I didn't ask you before we came on, and thank you again for doing this last second, uh, but I, I wanted our listeners uh, to to kind of get a better handle of all the news they're getting. Um, but one question I had, and then I would like for you to surmise kind of in your mind what all this means and how it made Jack Smith's uh, – is this a Hail Mary, you know, et cetera, just an overall uh, summation uh, before before you talk about your books, because I want I want people to be aware of your books that may not have caught the last episode that you were on. But before we do that, uh, the summation, then your books, uh, one thing that really bothers me about the January 6th political hostages is so many people being held without any consideration of bail. And I'm wondering what if there is and what would be uh, the legal uh, ramification or legal remedy for that many people being held basically as political hostages. Does does our legal system not have any recourse for people being held without any uh, ability for 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 potential bail? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a good question. The what what happened in 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 most instances in uh, the January six cases is the um, the DC district courts, and this is actually the, the the brainchild of a federal district judge. In D.C. named Burl Howell, and Burl Howell was a Democrat activist who, uh, you know, became a federal was nominated for a federal uh, judgeship, and th- she came up with this uh, this new theory extending the ability to hold someone without bail. And really, what they did was they they expounded on. Um, the government claims that there were a number of people involved in January 6th and the the riots on January 6th who intended to stop the federal government or, you know, the joint session of Congress from certifying the election. And that <clears throat> this federal judge and a couple of others came up with this, uh, this, this new principle, if you will, that 
the people who were involved in that, and since since a handful of those people were actually um, involved in some violent offenses that day, which has to do with like you know knocking down some of the barriers and busting out some windows and things like that, and they came up with this cockamamie theory that um, if, if you're if you were involved in the riot in any significant extent and you were involved in even trying to damage any federal property that you're like an accessory to something much more sinister and and could be held without bail um it's a it's a more it's more in depth than that and and i have to confess to you that i haven't investigated it as thoroughly as i probably should to tell you all the ins and outs but what they did really was to create a new legal theory that allowed them to extend the the ability to hold a violent offender without bail. So it's always been possible to hold a violent offender without bail to extend to anybody who did any, undertook any effort or that the government had any prima facie evidence that they'd undertake any effort to even damage federal property to be held uh, without, without bail. And that's what's been happening. And the ability to apply for, um, you know, to the court <clears throat> to set bail and and to get released uh, on bail is uh well it's you know it's limited it does exist but it's limited and so far some people have been able to get um you know released to get bail set and and the DC circuits actually reversed a couple of these decisions but not but they were on the more tangential cases and the people more far removed so so far the supreme court has not taken that question up and the DC circuit has refused to um, order the vast majority of these people to be released. So that's what's happened is you've got several hundred of these people who, you know, they got them on video like yanking the fence or busting a window and, and they're using that to say they're violent and dangerous and keep them in court. So, I mean, keep them uh, locked up without pending trial without bail, which is to me is utterly ludicrous, but. What the other thing about it that, that I find it really more troubling <clears throat> is there's people who are sitting in federal prison, or actually they're in the D, most of them are in the DC jail, in DC waiting for their trial, and they've been in jail, some of them have been in, been in jail for two years waiting for their trial, and they can't get the trial, and they, they filed speedy trial motions and all this stuff, and they're not able to get the trial, and and the reason they can't get to trial is because the government comes in and the courts is, hey, we've got so many cases and we're busy and we can't accommodate them all and blah, blah, blah. But they can put they can put president the, the, the claims against President Trump or the indictment against President Trump on the rocket docket and put him get him to trial in months when they got people that got locked up who are really nonviolent offenders who they claim they don't have enough staff and enough resources to get to trial for two years. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking. Uh, so, so corrupt, so, so incredibly criminal, uh, what you're describing right there. Give us a kind of, when you first heard about Jack Smith, you heard about what's going on with the January 6th defendant, uh, Fisher, uh, and kind of give us from an attorney standpoint to us the, you know, the, unwashed masses out here, uh, the kind of the 30,000 foot view of what this, you know, and, and, and I like that you don't 
pump sunshine. You, you're very pragmatic, but, but you, you know, but you're, you're very conservative. So, so from your best, best, not, not guess, but best, uh, look into it, what this could mean, uh, everything from absolutely much about nothing, everything continues the same, or Jack Smith's worried, kind of look, Give us a summation of what you think this latest, what what I'm titling today's episode, the latest lawfare against Trump, what all the latest lawfare against Trump actually means. Yeah, well, I think <clears throat> I, I have to say the uh, the president, <clears throat> excuse me, the presidential immunity claims that and that's the issue that. The special counsel wants to leapfrog the court of appeal and go straight to the Supreme Court over. Um, I've read, I've read the, uh, the briefing on it and read, I haven't read all the cases, but I've read quite a few of them. Um, I personally, I don't believe that the president is going to be successful on uh, knocking out the entire indictment on that. I think, I think there's a couple of counts he can get. Uh, that, that he's probably got a really good chance to get knocked out. So I don't know that, I personally don't believe, if I'm, you know, looking at my crystal ball, I think the president comes up short on presidential immunity. Now I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and the primary reason for that is there's just not much law on it. And of course, this, these are all novel legal theories. Um, but the Nixon case that you mentioned earlier doesn't help him. And you're, <laughs> well, no, the Nixon case was an executive privilege case. Oh, okay. okay. It, it, it's really no, no help or hindrance. Okay. Um, yeah. But, you know, these are all issues of what we call issues of first impression and which means nobody's ever ruled on them before. And that's because no one's ever tried to do this before. <laughs> you know, no one's ever charged the president like this before and, um, under these circumstances. And so, you know, it may be that I'm wrong and the court takes a much more dim view of all of this lawfare than I expect them to. But the, but the reality is, is that presidential immunity is really, really strong when you're dealing with core presidential um, uh, duties and responsibilities. And, and the point of it is, hey, if the president goes to make a mistake and and, you know, someone gets harmed by it. <clears throat> you don't, you don't make a claim. You can't make a claim against the president over it. Well, the, what we're dealing with here is not so much core presidential duties. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, I, I think the presidential immunity argument is a little thinner than, than, uh, I would like, but he could still win it. And, um, you know, I'm just looking at my crystal ball. Sure. Um, but the, uh, the obstruction of, of uh, official proceedings case, <clears throat> which is the one the Supreme Court granted writ on for the J6 defendant, um, the overwhelming likelihood, in, in my view, is that the, the Supreme Court is going to knock that out. And that knocks President Trump's indictment down to two counts. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I prove correct about that and the Supreme Court knocks those claims out, then the federal case involving President Trump is down to two counts, and those two counts are really thin. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the um, uh, defrauding the United States, which 
that really should have, I mean, obviously, in my opinion, none of these indictments should have ever seen the light of day. But defrauding the United States by trying challenging the election is just lunacy. So that's, I don't see that going anywhere. And the other one is the one about um, depriving people of their constitutional right to vote. That charge, the one that's actually is one of the statutes that was used against the Klan, you know, and so that's just ludicrous. So that's not going anywhere either. So the federal case really won't amount to much um, if those two counts get knocked out. So and it's definitely not going anywhere before, I mean, on the current uh, schedule. So the question will be, um, you know, can they even – Will the prosecutor in the D.C. district even be able to get this case back on track if it survives these reviews we're talking about? And that's a real question, but certainly not before. It's going to be a real challenge for, for them to do it before the election. And they'd be at the point now where um, it would be the home stretch of the election, you know, the last two or three months before the election when these trials would be held. And I just don't believe that the United States Supreme Court – or really just federal courts in general are going to allow that kind of interference, you know? Uh, so with respect to the, the district court, I mean, the case in, in the, in the district of Columbia, I think the current developments are very, very negative for the United States government's prosecution of Donald Trump. Now the, um, the documents case is going to, a little bit, you know, it was brought first, but set for trial later. <laughs> and and recent developments in that case make it look very unlikely that that case is going to go to trial in May. And what I really would anticipate, and once again, this is just me, and, and I'm not a judge, and I'm not handling any of these cases, but looking at my crystal ball, um, what the government tried to do there is push that case to trial when there are millions and millions of documents Hundreds of thousands of hours of video for the the uh, defense to reveal, and the government's still playing hide the ball with some of the documents that they allege the president uh, shouldn't have had in his possession. So um, that was not going to trial in May either, no matter what happens. And I don't see that judge allowing that case to go to trial before the election. So big overview, my humble opinion. The two federal cases are probably um, knocked, put in a position now where they're going to, if they don't get completely derailed, they're, they're going to be derailed till after the election. Um, and then lastly, before you talk about your books, the most probably uh, insane thing that that I can think of is, and I was listening to uh, James Riker or Rickard. Uh, talk about, and he's not a lawyer, but he was talking about how, uh, amazingly it is not constitutionally, uh, is not against the constitution for a president to serve who is a convicted felon. That's correct. The United States, I mean, the United States constitution sets forth the qualifications for serving for pres- as president. Uh, there's an age requirement. Uh, my memory serves is 35. You have to be 35 years old. You have to be a natural born citizen. And, um, but your, your lack 
of a criminal record is not one of the qualifications set forth in the Constitution. So it is true that a convicted felon could serve as president. Um, I think, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, um, I have, in, in addition to my books, I also have a substack. Which oh, is cool. uh, yeah, talk about your books and your substack. And and I've written about I've written about um, substacks about all of the cases against President Trump. Give your substack um, again. I was talking. I'm sorry. What is it? Uh, my substack is Daniel R. Street at substack dot com. Daniel R. Street at substack dot com. Okay. Yes, sir. And the name of the substack is uh, Daniel R. Street's fake news exposed. But I cover. I've got. I've got a post about the Florida indictment. I've got a post about the D.C. indictment. I've covered the Manhattan D.A. indictment. I've covered the Georgia indictment. All of them have uh, multiple posts about it. And they're, they, the reason I mention that is they, those things would be more uh, directly relevant to what we've been talking about today. Yeah, and give us a give us a because I just love the books. Tell them about Thank the books again. Uh, I know there are people out there looking for last minute stock and stuffers, etc. But maybe even after Christmas, talk about the three volume one, two, and three, and then your latest book. Yes, sir. So I wrote a triple book. I mean, a three book volume about fake news about Trump. It is fake news exposed about Trump, volume one, volume two, and volume three. Each one of those books, those, well, well, cumulatively, those books break down 83 separate media attacks and misrepresentations and lies told about President Trump. And it's everything you can think of. Uh, you'll be blown away by how many lies the media has told about Trump. And if, if you purchase one of the books, you get access for each one to a free chapter. So um, online through, through through my website. So that uh, brings the total up to 86. But I mean, it covers everything, everything from uh, various different aspects of the Russia collusion hoax, the hoax when when the media claimed President Trump tried to claim the NRA was going to assassinate Hillary Clinton to um, everything you can think of. I mean, and, and a lot of things that you won't even remember. You'll be like, oh, you'll read it and go, wow, I totally forgot those lies were told about President Trump. And that's what those books are about. And then my most recent book is uh, Fake News Exposed about uh, conservatives, guns, COVID, and everything else. And it covers 25 chapters covering everything from immigration issues. There's also several chapters about President Trump in there. There's there's two chapters about uh, Governor DeSantis, the uh, the flights to that when Florida flew the migrants to um, Martha's Vineyard is in there. The don't say gay law that the media lied about is in there. And uh, there are a number of chapters, about 10 chapters dedicated to COVID misinformation. It's a real I like to consider it kind of reference material for people who want to know what the truth is about COVID. Now, there's a lot more that I could write about misinformation about COVID, but I break down the Pfizer vaccines. They're not safe. They're not effective. All the lies people have been told. And uh, it's the real eye openers. And if you have somebody conservative in your family who, hey, maybe they they you know have a healthy skepticism of the media, they will love it. I guarantee you. Yeah, and this is also good for your liberal brother-in-law who uh, thinks <laughs> yeah. he knows everything about it, you know, and doesn't know, a, uh, doesn't have a clue. But what I found amazing, Daniel, was, uh, and I think of myself as being very up to date and and aware of what's going on. 
how many of these stories I, I, I was not even aware of either the depth of the deception by the media or certain instances I had no clue of, but these are so well researched. You, you, you know, it's a brilliant mind. It's an attorney that wrote this and it's, but it's such a good and easy read. And I want to encourage every listener to pick up the books. There's also, is there, you can get ebook. Uh, is there an audio book yet? Yes. The, uh, the new book's out on audio and <clears throat> the, uh, there's a triple, triple bundle ebook version of volume one, two, and three of fake news, fake news exposed about Trump. And that version is out on audio. Um, the, the remaining, I will have all the other volumes with volume independently, volume one, volume two, and volume three, um, on audible before long. It, it's, it's in the works. Uh, but right now the triple book is, is up at ACX, which is audible and, uh, in the new book. And give them the, uh, we got your substack, Daniel R street at substack.com. What is the, uh, what is the website, Daniel? Yeah, my website is real easy. It's DanielRStreet.com. So DanielRStreet.com, and it has links to all of my books. It has links to my Substack, has links to my social media. So literally everything that I'm involved in, someone can follow from from the website. Phenomenal, fact, phenomenal uh, website. Uh, I just yeah. I got on it and just stayed on it and. Uh, you 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 will love it, hey, Daniel. Thank you so much for making the time, and I want us to do it again. Uh, sure. And uh, if I don't, I'm sure we'll probably text back and forth between now and then. But if not, uh, I hope you and your family have a a very merry Christmas. Well, you too. Thank you very much for having me on, and and I'll be glad to come back anytime. Thank you so much, Daniel, and thanks again for making the time. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care, bro. Bye bye. All right, folks, that was Daniel R. Street. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Go to Daniel R. Street at Substack.com. Also go to Daniel R. Street.com, uh, for, uh, all the books. He's got a triple audio package right now that you can get all the books. I'm telling you, you're going to love to get these books for somebody who's conservative, a Trump lover, but also for people who may not know what they don't know. And so, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening today. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for the 12 countries and 17 states that listen, and we appreciate you. And a special thank you to Daniel R. Street. I actually contacted him today. He was in continuing education. He was so uh, welcome to come on and, and just so uh, agreeable to help us out here last minute because I wanted you to kind of get a taste of what's actually happening with uh a persecutor, criminal, uh, and corrupt persecutor, uh, Jack Smith. And thank you again, Daniel Smith. Thank you to our listeners. We are brought to you by MyPillow.com. Don't forget to use the promo code RED. Also, don't forget uh, the greatest and most patriotic car dealership in America, RedRiverAuto.com, RedRiverAuto.com. And then if you or someone you know is trying to publish a book, uh, uh, publish media, I'm sorry, purpose media publishing.com. Purpose media publishing.com. Uh, they w- they have a special going on right now. Also, they'll finance with no interest. So if you or you, a loved one or someone you know is wanting to publish a book, 
there is no better place to go. They'll help them write the manuscript, help them do everything they need to do. PurposeMediaPublishing.com. Thank you again for listening to the Red Pill Plus podcast. 